0: Isn't worshiping the Lord fun? It is just a great thing to be able to lift up our voices and praise Him. You know, you, you get the feeling that it's going kind of be what heaven's going to be like to some degree. Although I do think we'll probably only be in a single language up there. And if not, at least we'll understand them all. So, um, we used to do a lot in Hebrew. And there's just something really kind of fun about singing scripture in its original language. Um, We've chances are we'll bring that in too, and sooner or later, whether you know it or not, you'll be bilingual twi- or something, but you'll only be able to say worship songs in about 15 languages, which, who can complain about that? So, all right, we're in Genesis 32, go ahead and open up your scriptures, please, to that. I'm going to go to the Lord right to prayer. Oh, Lord God, you are so good. Thank you so much for the privilege of being able to stand here before your saints, your family, your children. And as crazy as that is, to offer what you've shown me in your scriptures... And I thank you for how you've impacted me, even this morning, walking through this text one more time. Lord, I want today for your love to shine through me. I recognize that English may not be a first language for many people here. So I'm asking for something entirely supernatural. Something certainly no human being could do. I'm asking for you, Lord, to speak to every heart and mind here in a language they could understand even as I speak. Lord, how cool would that be? So why not do it? We want to be fed. We want to be challenged. We want to be enriched. We want to be encouraged. So please do so. I pray, Lord, you would redeem every second. And Lord, that every one of us, every one of us will find ourselves truly, deeply, greatly encouraged, greatly fortified, more equipped for the work you have for us. And that we would have so much fun in your word today. So I pray that your scripture would come alive, that your servant would come alive, that you would immerse me in your Holy Spirit, that I would disappear, and that you would show yourself clearly, and then you would fill me to overflowing, so, God, that you would douse this precious fellowship with your presence. Make this day a day that you are glorified, and I thank you. For the privilege of being able to serve you, and for that eager expectation of what you are going to do in this scripture, now have your way. In Jesus' name, Amen. I will say this afternoon. Don't just believe me. You've heard that many times now. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Some of you, that's kind of like blah blah blah. But for some of you, you need. I will say it every time. Please, two things you should expect other than that the Bible is going to be open. One, that I'm going to say, don't just believe what I say. Search the scriptures. Prove it right or wrong. And the second is that I would challenge you always to expect the gospel to be preached and a chance to respond to it. Let's put things into context here in chapter 32. I'm sorry, you just shut down the tanning booth on the side of the church there. I saw some people, they're just like this, (laughs) trying to figure out how to hold their Bible and get the most amount of surface area in the sun. It's about the 1800s BC. It's about 600 years after the flood. It's about 2,400 years after creation. 145 years ago, these are rough terms just to make it easy, about 145 years ago. Jacob's grandfather received a call from God to leave the gulf, the land of Ur, to follow on a journey that will take him for the rest of his life in discovering this glorious God. Two generations down, Jacob is a different man, but on his same journey. We'll find we're all on that journey in the sense that God wants to reveal deeper and more meaningfully than yesterday, each day, one day better. Jacob is the kind of guy that takes men from his own Maybe you could understand that. For anyone who has any form of aptitude, you're smart, you're strong, you're socially gifted, whatever tools are in your tool bench for thrusting yourself forward, whatever they are, there is that challenge always to have that at your disposal whenever you think that things are getting, oh, they're slowing down, they're getting weak. You turn on the charm, you outwit, you outstrengthen, you whatever the case is to get yourself a little farther ahead. The problem is once we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection to offer us a new life, we find ourselves still trying to use the old tools in a new workplace, and they don't work. And what you find then is this great place where you're in two worlds and trying to figure out how to reconcile both worlds at the same time. Jacob has had a promise from God, whether Jacob knew it or not, we do know his mother did, that he would be the ruler over his brother. And with that would come a birthright. With that would come a blessing, for which Jacob himself would receive. But unfortunately, he would never be able to tell you how God did it. And that becomes the problem any time you take the promise of God and try to help God out to fulfill that promise. In the end of it all, when someone asks you how did God pull through, when you are in the queue for a miracle you humbly kind of turn your head away and don't want to tell them the facts of how you stepped into the situation and mucked it up a little bit. And Jacob's life is riddled with those events. Maybe like yourself, certainly like myself. Every regret I have, especially since I've been a Christian, have been times when I've decided I needed to step in it and fix the problem. Instead of, at no clear command of God, as if somehow God was on vacation or put me on hold and was waiting for me to figure it out. But have you learned in Scripture how many times everyone does that and the mistakes, what you pay for as a result of that? Sarah telling Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, well, you know, he did say it would be through you, but not through me. Why don't you actually have a baby with another woman? And Abraham, being that mighty man of faith, says, Yeah, sure, sounds great. And from that, then you have a kid born who you're going to have to deal with throughout Scripture, who, by the way, seems to be a key player in the end times. How many of those situations are we still dealing with? Jacob, after ripping off his brother, living up to his name, flees to a land where his mom says, give it a few days, your brother comforts himself in wanting to kill you. He'll cool down in a few days. He'll get over it. Then I'll send you a letter and you can come back. And it's been 20 years. Now that's a long time to wait for a letter from your mommy. He will never get that letter. As a matter of fact, his mum will die before he'll get back there. And now Jacob is in the worst place he's ever been in. Because behind Jacob is Laban now. The man he's lived with for the last 20 years. The only guy that seems to be a better rip-off artist or con artist than Jacob is. He has been outclassed and Jacob and him have basically played a game of chess for the last 20 years, figuring out who can outmaneuver the other guy. That's what's behind him now. In front of him is that 20-year vendetta of his brother, who, by the way, is a hunter. That's not not the kind of guy you want to want to kill you. I mean, maybe a computer kind of guy. I mean, no offense. Or someone that doesn't necessarily lift weights or look like Bigfoot. You really don't want someone like that wanting you dead. And that's what's in front of Jacob. So Jacob's present is, or I should say Jacob's future now, is running from his present into his past. Both want him dead, it appears. And Jacob now has approached this deceiver. I should say the deceiver has approached him. That was our last chapter. And a line was drawn and said, that's it. This is as far as you can go. And now the deceiver has been put at bay. That's Laban. And Jacob is walking away. God had promised him on his escape 20 years ago that he would take care of him. He would provide for him. And he'd get him home safely. Now that's quite a promise. Especially when you know someone wants to kill you that doesn't have a problem killing things. And now, Jacob, hear me on this, please. He has to cash in. He has to cash in on God's promise. And it's one thing to actually feel okay with a promise as long as you don't have to rely on the miracle it would be for God to fulfill it. But friends, we are going to find in these 32 verses... I honestly think God's going to throw a mirror up at you only because he has with me. Unless you're so different from me, this doesn't relate. But I don't find that likely. So what would it be like? Put yourself in this position. Jacob has been hiding in a with all of his stuff and all of his family in the mountains, but overtaken anyways by the army of the guy Laban that he ran from who basically came and said, it was in my mind to harm you. In other words, I was going to take you down. But God stepped in and told me, don't you dare do that. Now, that would be a little comforting considering there's a part of me that would think, well, that's quite a miracle, but can I expect that miracle twice? The guy I'm I'm running from, or I've run from just recently, had it in his mind to take me down. He was comforted at the thought of killing me. But God stepped in, and in stepping in, he said, hey, 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 don't you speak good or bad to this guy. You're like, wow. At that point, are you so happy to survive that you just think, wow, did I escape that one? Or do you think, God, look at what you did. Because Laban made it really clear it was God who stepped into the situation to make it happen in the first place. And God throws two zingers in this chapter, and we'll see them now. Two things as if you speak so matter of fact, it's like, ordinary it's sort of like and then he stopped at the store and he picked up some milk you go well and here's the first of them chapter 32 verse 1 so jacob went on his way and the angels of god met him stop what it's like he stopped at the store and picked up milk now look at this for a second it doesn't give us any information what these angels names were what they looked like What they did when they met each other? Did they introduce each other? Was it like Jacob and I? to goes, hi, I'm Angel Bob. Nice to meet you, Angel. We don't read anything about this other than, God says, well, then there were some angels and that was it. See, in God's mind, things that are so supernatural and so big are just not so big to God. Jesus himself had said, I remind you, at his arrest, don't you think that at this moment I could call down 12 legions of angels? And the Old Testament, one angel that doesn't even seem to have a name either, destroys eighty-five thousand soldiers that were at enmity against Israel. One of them. Now we don't read he's super buff angel or the Terminator angel or anything like. We just read he's an angel. In the book of Revelation, there is an angel, also doesn't have a name, or at least isn't given one in the text, and he grabs Satan by the neck and throws him in prison for a thousand years. Now, what you think? That's like Super Buff Angel, Hans and Franz Angel, or whatever. Hello, I'm Mr. Universe Angel. No, we just... Who are you? Hi, I'm an angel. What's your job? Can you imagine? God's like, I'm looking for an angel. God, an angel's like, hi, here I am. And he's like, let's use you. What's my job, king? Your job's to take Satan by the neck and throw him in. Oh, cool, okay. Ha, ah, ah, ha, ah, ah. ha, ha. I mean, there's just something weird about that to me. Because we think of it from a worldly term, you know, where we think that if it's big and mighty, it has to be big and mighty. I mean, think about how you, what's your image of Samson? Do you think that Samson kind of walked around and needed to have all of his clothes? He had to have his tunic and everything specially fit? Sorry, I need to fit something in my packs, you know? It's like, hi, I'm Samson. You know, I mean, is that the way we think of him? And everyone goes, what's the secret behind your strength? What if he looked like me? (laughs) Or, well, that's okay, yeah. But I mean, someone, okay, but I mean, what if he looked like James? Or what if he looked like Micah? Or what if he looked like Luke? I mean, what's the secret of your strength? Now imagine Luke, with all due respect to Luke. I mean, I've, and the only reason I say this, Luke has actually put on a jacket of mine. Him and his wife and their child could fit in that jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and imagine just Luke kind of walking over and grabbing a couple pillars and going, <laughs> and just walking down with the gates of a city. And there's something we think, well, he must have been massive. How massive does a guy have to be to do that? We just watched the world's strongest men a few days ago, one of those competitions. Okay, those guys are big. Half of them are Lithuania. I don't know what that means, but it does concern me about ever going to Lithuania, you know? And these guys, like, they strap something on their neck and they pull, like, a big rig, you know, lorry behind them. But they still couldn't carry the gates of a city. And the reason I say that is, there's no man big enough to do what God does. And that's the point of it. And the reason I say that is, is that Jacob just ran into some angels. And God's like, blah, 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 ran into some angels, let's move on with the story. And I kind of think, like this is an ordinary event for Jacob? Or is it? Is it? An, do we have a record in this verse that he knew that they were angels? We do recognize that he recognizes something pretty wild because he changes the name of the place he's at you ever wonder how many times you do? you ever wonder if you ever run into someone and you go, well, clearly, shouldn't they glow or levitate or have wings or something or have that dish around their head or something? If God wanted to freak you out, maybe. Well, what if God just wanted to bless you? For what it's worth, scripturally, and here's the dangerous thing, all an angel is is a messenger. That's what the word means. And God could use anything to be an angel. Now he has angelic beings, seraph and cherubs. We recognize that, which, according to scripture, are never naked babies playing harps. We've never had that in any scripture, which by the way, would be really funny though, if Jesus called down twelve legions of little naked babies going with you know that look like Cupid, you know, and you could see the Roman soldiers going, "Oh ah, scary, but the reason I say this, God, can, they can manifest. Appears to me that they can manifest, but it does say this: that they are servants, and they're servants. To be honest, to serve those who will inherit salvation. That's what Scripture says. Don't believe me? It's Hebrews 1:14. In Matthew 4:11, we read that angels ministered to Jesus after his temptation. We don't read how. We don't read that one of them like did the Benihana thing and just sort of did some sushi or something. All we just read is that they ministered to God. And obviously the point wasn't how they did it, it was just that they did. In Second Kings chapter 6, one of those great moments when you have a grumpy prophet, Elisha, Edeshama, is sleeping. His servant, Gehazi looks out and he sees this enemy army surrounding their valley. And he freaks out as a guy would. We're dead. We're so dead. And he goes in and wakes up the prophet. And and like perhaps you, not me, I always wake up pleasant, but perhaps you. (laughs) Thanks, honey. Um, He just goes and he goes, Ah, Lord, would you just open his eyes? And then he goes back to sleep. That was it. That's all we get from the prophet. And all of a sudden, the servant looks out and he sees this army of angels surrounding the army of these men who are surrounding them. And all of a sudden, Hatsy's like, oh, well, that's not so bad anymore. <laughs> no. Did they show up, or was the issue, was the issue their presence, like, or was the issue his inability to see them? And there'll be times, where you're going to be freaking out because your situation seems so crazy. And just to be honest, you have no idea what's happening in another world you just can't see. I think that gets me kind of excited because, I mean, I think we get a lot of our doctrine from weird things like some books. You know, that are well-meaning Christian books, but all of a sudden our theology seems so sound in and, and the end of it. We have no scripture to back it. In this, all we read is that Jacob encountered some angels, and this was Jacob's response, verse 2. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So we called the place Mahanaim. Now, here's a Hebrew word for you. Would you say Mahanaim? Mahanaim. Thank you, Mahanaim. Try that in the middle. Let's see how that works for you. Mahanaim. Your turn. That's a little better, thank you. Now, Mahanaim means two camps. And I love that because the whole chapter, to be honest, all of Jacob's life could be, could be encapsulated in this one word, Mahanaim. Strangely enough, so could ours. The word means two camps. Now, Jacob was already there in camp. He had all of his stuff. He had his wives, his children... His cows, his donkeys, his camels. He had all of that, so he already had a camp going. He had a camp going that everything was going this way. It was all about this world. My stuff, my peeps, it's everything right here. But all of a sudden, Jacob goes, boom! And all of a sudden, he's like, whoa, This is there's more to this camp than just this. There's another camp here. And this camp has nothing to do with donkeys has nothing to do with all of this stuff, this stuff I can touch and feel, because all of a sudden I realize this is also the camp of God. Uh, Understand, our whole world, every step we take on this earth is going to be stepping into two different camps, man's camp and God's camp. And the question is, which of those two camps are you going to actually make yourself a citizen of? Because in the end of it all, the difference in all of our behavior and our priorities and the way we go about life is going to be which of these camps we're going to find ourselves in. Now look at if I'm in man's camp, if I'm all about man's camp, it's about getting stuff and maneuvering and plotting and scheming and how can I use my wit to get whatever I need. That's man's camp. God's camp, on the other hand, is going to take trust. Man's camp is going to have to take tenacity. In God's camp, I need God's presence. In man's camp, I'm going to need my power. In God's camp, it's about his faithfulness. I need faith. But in man's camp, it's about my fortitude. And I might have a good work ethic, so I might be able to, at the end of the day, have a little bit more done than the next guy who stopped at noon because he was union or because that's it for the day for him. Or whatever, but in the end of it all, I can only go so far because I'm still dealing in man's camp. Beloved, listen. Jacob is in a place where all of a sudden he realizes, well, this is just so much more than my camp now. Now remember in the story with Joshua. Joshua's in a situation where they're about to go to battle. He's got to figure this whole thing out. And another angel shows up. Arguably God himself. And he throws himself to the ground. But he asks this question, and I love this. She says, are you for us or for our enemies? That's a really good question. I mean, he's about getting ready for a battle, right? And I love his answer. The angel says, no. <laughs> and you go, um, that wasn't an option. <laughs> Here are the two options. My camp, their camp. See, this becomes the problem when I'm in man's camp. Because in man's camp, I'm really busy trying to get God in my camp which is, this is my will. My will be done. God, bless it. This is a great idea. Bless it. This is a really good thing I want it. Bless that. God, let this happen. Bless that. God, I know you love me, and I have a wonderful plan for my life. Can't wait for you to step in and make it happen. My camp. God's not interested in joining your camp. I'll be honest. I mean, you have two people, right? They're really, I mean, tonight, American football, that may not—that mean mean nothing to you. To be honest, it means little to us except David, because he's a really big San Francisco fan, and they're playing tonight. Now, let's just say, lo and behold, and who are they playing, Trista? Who cares, right? Trista's like, maybe they'll get hit by buses on their way, but not die until they get saved. But we're in church. It has to be like that. But what if another Christian came to that same thing we're going to watch tonight, and he was an ardent fan of the other side. The opponents. And they both were praying men. What team's going to win? Do you think the one that prays harder? You know, I mean, in the end of it, like, well, what if both quarterbacks were Christians? Well, surely then, what, well, we can see which one has the better walk. They're the one who's going to win tonight? Do you really think that's what's going to happen? Wow. And you realize, in the end of it, God's not busy trying to get on your side. Because the issue isn't, are you on my side or their side? And God says, no, no, no. Let me ask you a question. Are you on my side? Because Jesus doesn't say in the end of all, whoever I'm not for, I'm against. He says, whoever is not for me is against. Do you see the difference? Listen, friends. There are two camps in this world. And unfortunately, as long as you walk on this planet, you're going to have to walk amidst both of them. But you're going to have to choose which one you're really going to be a citizen of. Why not hang out with angels? Because in the end of it all, that's God's will, God's plan, God's bill, not yours. I love that. And and in the end of it all, Jacob is in a place where he really kind of needs to be in God's camp because his brother still wants to kill him. That's a really good time to be in God's camp. Now, here's the issue. The battle between these two camps will be the bad, the biggest battle you'll face in life. You know why? Because you'll fight it every day. As a matter of fact, you'll fight it more than likely every hour. Which camp do I want to be in in this situation? What camp do I want to be in in this situation? By the end of this, God brings it to a perfect crescendo by having him battle right there, God himself. And I can't think of a better way for this whole situation to have to change than that situation. Now, let me ask you something. What does God have to do to get you in his camp? I mean, if he ripped off your legs, and so you couldn't walk and then stuck you in his camp, would you roll out of it? We think about all these things we want God to do for us, but if they keep us from his camp, why would he do that? If the most important thing to God is your relationship with him. Jesus didn't die for you so you could just be a nicer person. And dare I say, Jesus didn't even die for you to send you to heaven. Jesus died for you to be with you. Heaven's a product of that. You'll become a nicer person. That's a product of that. But don't put the cart before the horse. Jesus died for you because he wants you. He genuinely wants you. So Jacob's in this camp and he says, this is God's camp. You know what's interesting about this place, Mahanaim? By Joshua 21, this will be what's called a city of refuge. I find that interesting. Now, if you don't know what that is, within the law, in the Torah, God made provision when the people took the land of Israel. That if a man was guilty of of manslaughter, he didn't intend to kill someone, but he did. He was walking down the street. He actually jumped up and it hit a pot in the window, and the pot fell over and landed on an older woman, and she died. And he didn't. He didn't even know it. Hopefully, that's not your testimony. None th- nonetheless, the family is going to want to kill you. You killed Grandma Babushka. You don't. You know. Where could you go? There were within cities these, or within communities that were given to these tribes of Israel these places called the City of Refuge. And what you could do is you could run to that City of Refuge. And as long as you stayed in that City of Refuge, nobody could harm you. By the way, can you see how Jesus plays into that, right? He's our City of Refuge. And you can see the idea of this. But the moment you set foot out of that city, happy camping. You can, they're coming. Stay and stay and stay and stay and stay in that city. Interestingly, Mahanaim was a city of refuge. I do find that interesting. God's camp, huh? Two camps. Twice other will actually see this place. Once, by the way, when Saul, if you're familiar with the predecessor to King David, when his commander sets up one of Saul's children in the place of the king. Now, David's promised the kingdom by that point. He had been for quite a while, but by 2 Samuel 2, Saul's family does not want to give up the throne. So there are two kings at that moment, the rightful king and the wrong king. And I find that interesting because if you think about it, Israel itself was in two camps because they haven't chosen the right king. When I say that's going to be a problem with all of us, when we live in these two camps, the big issue is who's going to be your king. Interesting. The other time, by the way, is in 2 Samuel 17, where Absalom, David's son, seeks to kill his own dad to take the throne. And again, Israel is divided into two kings the unrightful one and the rightful one. And again, much like ourselves. Verse 3, Jacob sent messengers now to Esau. So here he is. He's gone. He's encountered angels. And he says, whoa, this is actually two camps. It seems to be God's camp and it seems to be my camp. Interesting. Wouldn't it be great if those two camps became one camp where there was no line between the secular and sacred because everything became sacred? I wasn't like, this is my camp and this is God's camp. I'm just going to move into God's camp and then my work's going to change because it's going to be from God's camp's perspective now. My life's going to change. My friends are going to change. The way I look at you is going to change because I'm doing it from God's camp now. But that's not what we have with Jacob. Jacob's still trying to figure this thing out. And much like you, especially if you've got a mind that's kind of plots and schemes, and I know some of you, I know you're like me in this. And so with that... Jacob now has to figure this out. Now, he's got these two camps. He's got to decide which camp he's going to be in, but he's got a brother that wants to kill him. And at that point, he thinks, ooh, there's the protection of God who saved me from Laban. I better take this matter into my own hands. And he does. Now, how do you do that? You start sucking up to the brother who wants to kill you. Verse 3, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus, to my Lord Esau, thus your servant Jacob says, I've dwelt with Levon and stayed there until now. I've got do- I've got oxen, I've got donkeys. I've got flocks and male and female servants. And I've sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Now, what's he doing? He's going, look at. I need you to talk to my brother. I'm going to send you there, okay? Now, he wants to kill me, okay? Let's just get that out now. So what I want you to do is I want you to tell him, go over there and say, hey, your brother... He's got a flat screen TV. He's got a couple cars. He's got some bling bling. He's got some really nice stuff. And he would really like to be friends with you. What do you think he's doing? He's going, take my stuff, just don't kill me. That's what he's doing. Do you really think that's coming from the perspective of God's camp or man's camp? Here's the problem. When we dwell in man's camp... It's all about what do i have to give up to save me i'm seeking to save my life and i'm going to lose it to do so isn't that what jesus promised but you'll do the same thing and you'll have your stages to do it just like jacob will what are the things i can let go of right if some guy came in the house and had um had a gun what would be the things that you would actually not feel so bad about him taking what would, would there be any area finally where you would actually fight him for it? Seriously, I had a dream about a week and a half ago. And a dream I got held up. Now understand, I grew up kind of studying martial arts, so I used to have these goofy, you know, Jackie Chan kind of dreams, you know, something like, ah, Things <laughs> over, you know? I'd wake up, you know, hoping I hadn't hit my wife or something in my sleep. This particular dream was a little—I was a little bit more cheeky. This guy kind of came up, and he was sort of an East Ender. I can tell. He sort of stepped out of a car. He's like, "Oh Because I could barely understand him. He was like, "Oh you know? And I'm like, "What?" And I'm like, oh, "I your money." All right. Oh, you want my money? And I had my kind of—I had my kind of man bag, right? Man bag because it's manly, manly. You know why we have those? Because we don't have cars, most of us. And that's the only boot we can carry around, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. It used to be we could put it in our boot, we flip it open. What do I need? I gotta carry it around with me. Well, anyways. So I have this thing and I've got my iPad in there and my iPhone and my keys and, and all this stuff and I'm kind of bumming by this and, and I'm, you know, oh, what am I gonna do? And I realized that I actually had in another bag on the other side my Bible. And, and I was in the, just there, and I'm like, my wallet, my passport were on one side, my Bible. That was it. It was on the other side. It was just my Bible. And, and I just said to him, whatever you do, just don't take this bag, okay, man? Because this is like the most precious thing, this bag. Just don't take it. And the guy's like, ah! And he took that bag, and he ran off with it. And the person next to me went, ha, 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 look, at what did he have in that bag? I'm like, my Bible. He's like, ah, oh, you really got him. I'm like, no, actually, that's the most valuable thing. I can get another, but I hope he reads it. So, anyways, so... But what are those, what are those levels? I mean, what's it's like? And there are times in scripture, by the way, where people were like, look it, we'll subjugate ourselves to you, and then a king will say, alright, I tell you what, if that's gonna happen, I'm gonna need all of your, you know, your your right eyeballs. And they're like, Oh, can we come back and talk about that in a little bit? I need to talk with my friends more time. And I, you get those ideas out of this, right? Because, okay, I'm okay with serving you, but I'm not quick to lose my eyeball. You know, or when the king's like, look, we're going to just take whatever. We're going to take all your money and all of that. And the king, you know, king Ahab at the point is like, well, sure, that's okay. And he goes, well, then I'm going to let all my servants go through your house and take whatever they want from all your people. And, and including, and by the way, he says, look, we could take your wives and your kids. And he's like, well, that's fine. But then he goes, well, we're going to go to your house and take whatever you want. He's like, oh, ho, 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 wait a minute here. And you realize that's a pretty messed up priority. You can have my kids, just don't take my big screen. That's really messed up. But you know there are people like that out there. We all know people like that. Well, in this situation, Jacob's now in a place where he's trying to save his life. And it goes to levels. What do I have to give up? What do I have to give up? What do I have to give up? Now, in God's camp, you just don't find that because there's a different kind of giving up. The giving up is the stress. The giving up is the battle because it's just not mine anymore because in man's camp, it's my battle. In God's camp, the battle belongs to the Lord. Then we're going to see it with you because I'm going to see the way that your eyes furrow and your... Get those crow's feet and those lines deep enough to plant stuff in your forehead. (laughs) You know that. And by the way, do you think this is going to work? Step one, I've got stuff. Come on. I've got stuff. Esau, like me, like me, like me. Now, verse six, the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we have come to your brother Esau And he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. I just is not what you want to hear. Your brother's coming to meet you with 400 other guys. Why does he need 400 other guys? Do you really think they're all going to come in and go, Yay, Jacob! Welcome! 400 other guys. Now, which one of us in the room doesn't think that's an army? They're trained. They all look like him. That's 401 big feet, big foots. Big feet, you know, sasquatches, right? Trolls all coming out. Harry, because remember, he was red and hairy. So they, I mean, they all kind of look like giant orangutans, right? <laughs> 401 of them. 401. Two would have been bad. If Esau was coming, if they just said Esau's coming and he doesn't look happy, that would be bad. We go. Oh, this isn't good. And at that moment, you might go, "Okay, Lord, what do I do now? Okay, could you take care of my brother? Maybe I'll take on the other guy with all of my men, but he's coming with 400 guys, 400 of them, 401 men, orangutan army, red and hairy flock. He's coming, 401 men. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Do you think?" <laughs> God just put that in in case you really weren't getting the picture. (laughs) And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. Now, by the way, this is what I learned. When your life is one, where you're divided because you're trying to live in both camps, when you shouldn't, your whole life will become divided. All of a sudden, you have to start figuring out what part's sacred and what part's actually secular. What part belongs to the Lord and what part's me part? What parts surrender and what parts selfish? And in the end of it all, Jacob's in two camps. You know why? Well, look at what it says. Verse 8. He says, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the other company who has left shall escape. Okay, who wants to be in Jacob's camp at this moment? Because here's the idea. Okay, Jacob's having a, a board meeting with all of his people. Here you are. And look at how convenient this is. There's an Nile down the center. And Jacob's like, look it. I have this little problem And I need to drag you in it. Because one of the dangerous things about living in those two worlds like that, living in the two camps like that, is you're going to drag anyone who's close to you into it too. And so here's the deal. My brother wants to kill me. And that probably means he'll want to kill anything that's mine. That's probably where I'm going to go with it. So here's the deal. I'm going to split you in half. It's a pretty good possibility half of you will live. (laughs) That's pretty good odds, right? 50-50, you know? So here's the idea. Whoever starts to die, scream really loud so the rest of you can run like chickens as far away. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't die quietly. Okay, please? (laughs) Now, oh, by the way, there is kind of three camps and that becomes a dangerous thing because Jacob is going to be in neither of these camps. Thank you very much, Jacob. Yeah, sweet, selfless man he is. So here's the idea. Either you will die or you will die. But not me. I'm going to stay back here and I'm just going to wait to see how this works out. right? And maybe he and his 400 men will be way too tired to kill me when they show up. (laughs) Good. Ready? Break. Think about that. That's what we're in here. Has anyone ever said something like that to you? Okay, maybe not like that, but it's kind of like, look, at my life's a little tough right now. I'm kind of running from the police, and I'm kind of a, you know, whatever. I'm a stranger. I've got a problem with the drug dealer I've been working with, and I've got this problem where I'm running from this, and I've had this relationship, and she's coming after me or whatever. I need you to help me. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know, and you'll think, well, sure, because probably I won't get scathed by the situation. I'm super. No, you're like, you know, what you're like, I hate being in these situations. How did I get in the middle of this? you got right in the middle of it because you have somebody that's in two camps and they're only supposed to be in one. And Jesus makes that clear. Doesn't he say, can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. That's just the way it is. You know, every person that seems to be representing the, the Lord says that. Matter of fact, this is the way that Moses will say it. He'll say, I set before you today, life or death. So I challenge you, choose life that you and your children would live. you got two camps. One's life and one's death. Joshua would say it this way. Judge this day who you will serve. But as for me and my family, I'm in this camp. Elijah says, how long will you waver between two opinions? Hey, if God's the Lord, sit in his camp. But if those things that you think are going to be your protection and your guidance and your safety, if you're like, that's your deal, well, then go ahead and serve that if you want to. But let's just call it out and decide which one's really real. Now that everyone's done their textbooks with glossy photos and illustrations, let's just see which one's really reality. Instead of just looking at some kooky documentary, that must be true. Choose your cam. Now, look at this, and they think, uh-oh. He's coming and he wants to kill you. So well, let's split it up. Okay, one of you might live through this. I'm sure going to live through it. And so the first thing that goes there is stuff. That's the first thing you give up. But also, by the way, his servants, because they're the ones that have to walk with the stuff. So it's like, look, at, I can handle losing my cows and my sheep and all that, and I can even handle losing my peeps. Sorry, you guys. Good luck. I'm speaking from the perspective of Jacob, not speaking for myself. We can be better friends than that, I pray. Verse 9. Then Jacob said, Stop. Then Jacob said, This is what it took. Do you realize this is the first time in Scripture Jacob prays? Do you realize that? I mean, God has blessed them. Streaked, spotted, whatever kind of sheep so they could be his. He's given them all these children. He's protected Him from Laban, he's up to this point, protected him from Esau. Jacob has no idea the charmed life he's living, much like ourselves. And in all of that, and I want to ask you again, like I have to ask me, what is it going to take before I get to this place where I'll even pray? You know, I can't help but think of a storm where disciples that were fishermen bailed out the water, fought the storm. Because after all, weren't they the experts? They've been on that sea their whole life. But they're not the expert compared to the one who actually made the sea, who was in the boat sleeping. And when he gets up to still the storm, he looks and says, where's your, where's your faith? See, it isn't just that you don't have it. It's that you've placed it in the wrong place. You trust in the wrong thing. What about you? What are you trusting in? How many of your regrets of your past revolve around how you stupidly placed your faith? Let's be honest. We're in a relationship of someone that really didn't deserve it in an investment that clearly didn't, you shouldn't have put anything into. Finally, Jacob prays. And here's his prayer. God of my father, Abraham. God of my father, Isaac. Remember, there's no God of me yet. The Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I have crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I've become two companies. I have become two companies. I'm torn in two. You ever hear the term, he's beside himself? You ever been there? Your world's so split in half at this point, you just like I am just two people. That's what I am. There's the me that is trying to figure out how in the world to live in this world, and for me, and the part of me that's still trying to figure out how to keep God happy in heaven, just to make sure that when I die, in whatever that is, that I can be with him. How can I cash in on this world and still get well done, good and faithful servant? I become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau. I fear him, lest I come and he attack me and the mother with the children. It was my daughter who pointed out that there's only one mother listed here, which I think is interesting. He's got four, basically four mothers that he seems to be related to. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, please understand what Jacob's doing in this prayer because it's the same thing many of us will do. He's trying to figure out how to activate his faith into God's promise. I mean, God's promise will mean nothing to you if you actually don't put your faith in it. And you can intellectually understand what the promise is, but until you actually put your trust in it, it's a car in your driveway you refuse to stick the key in and start up. And he goes, God, look, this is what I know about you. You promised to get me home. That's what you promised. You promised to protect me. And I'm not worthy of that. I'm not worthy of what you've shown me. I'm not worthy of this mercy. That I can recognize. But can I ask this? Could you deliver me for my brother? Because I'm not too sure how in the world I'm going to get home if my brother kills me. That doesn't make sense to me. So I could really use your help here. Now, in the end of it all, what Jacob says, what he's admitting here is simple. I don't have the strength. I can't weasel my way out of this one. I really can't do this. I think in the end of it all, my only hope is you. And in the end of it all, you had to conclude this after all your other hopeful things are spent. Isn't, doesn't that make sense? Just like the disciples in the boat, you have to wait till the point where you realize the only option left is a miracle. It's the only one or I'll die. And here's the most amazing thing. God will wait. He will patiently let you put yourself in that position. That miracle was waiting for you the whole time. That promise was there but until you trust them, it's still a car sitting in your driveway. Aren't you the one who promised me? Didn't you promise that you would deliver me from this? Didn't you promise me that I would be free indeed? I don't feel so free. Didn't you promise me that you would make me a new creation? Didn't you promise me that you would forgive me? Didn't you promise me that you could actually restore to me that which even the locusts have eaten? did you promise me that you began this good work, you'll be faithful to complete it until your day. But didn't you promise me you gave me your Holy Spirit and if it's a gift, he's a gift, you won't revoke it because your gifts and callings are irrevocable. Didn't you promise you wouldn't take that back? did you promise me that you would use me? Didn't you promise me? But God, if you promised me that, imagine it's like God saying, well, here, let me say it this way. And we are getting near an end, even though we're less than half the way. This picks up quite quick. I heard a situation about an individual, and I'm sure it's probably just a joke, so there I ruined it already, of a man who was thrown overboard um, off a luxury liner, which is probably poor timing since the situations have occurred. But he was in the water, and he was praying, God, I really would love for you to deliver me. And within 20 minutes, a boat pulls up. It's the Coast Guard. It's the lifeguard station. And they said, we've come to help you. And he says, no, 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 no. Thank you. I'm waiting for God. So he waits. 25 minutes go by. Another, oh no, it's a helicopter this time. And when a helicopter comes, it drops its ladder and says, come on. you know, Get into the copter. And he says, no, 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 no. Just waiting, waiting for God. Another 25 minutes go by. And a big piece of wood floats by him. And he looks at it and he goes, no, no, no. Just wait for God. Finally, he drowns and stands before God. And he says, God, I've been waiting for you. What in the world? What what happened? You said you were going to take care of me. God says, I sent you a boat and a helicopter and a piece of wood. What more do you want? And the reason I said that there are times where the Lord sends something to you. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. And I see that here at this moment. He's going, God, I see all of these promises and I see them, I really don't, I can't figure out how to weasel my way into this. And God goes, look it, this was never about you weaseling your way into anything. You said, verse 12, that I'll make your descendants like the sand of the sea. You promised I would be fruitful. I mean, you promised I wouldn't just be alive, that I wouldn't just survive, that I'd actually have more than just a little bit of a purpose, that I'd actually be a blessing to people. Listen, beloved, if you said yes to Jesus Christ, you were slated for that. That's just, regardless of where you've come from, regardless of who you've been, that's what he's going to do. That's what he is doing. In the book of Ephesians, it says we are his workmanship. The word is poema. And actually, in the simplest term, we use the term workmanship, but really, the word that is often used of that, the best translation is masterpiece. That's what the word means. And it's created for good works, what's God prepared beforehand that we would walk in. Now, understand the idea. God takes this big chunk of stone like Da Vinci did, or like Michelangelo. And he's got some work to do. And people look and go, You sure there's a diamond in that? Come on. But the thing is, is that he's got to chip away at stuff. That's us. Remember, we were the whole block when we started. So he lovingly comes over, and he takes you, and he holds you, and he sticks you gently in his vice, and then he tightens that thing up. And you're like, okay, I can't move now. And you're like, this is the love of God. This is the love of God. This find confining. And God goes, I really love you. And then he grabs the grinder, and he goes, Yah! and he grabs the chisel, and he goes, chick, chick, chick. and you're like, oh, 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 oh. I like that. And God says, yeah, but that doesn't fit with my plan. That was a pretty part of rock. God says, no, it's not. Trust me. I'm like, yeah, okay, I trust you. Really? You got to use that? That person? Really? You got to use that job? Do you realize what he uses as chisels? Trials? People that you don't like that you can't get out of your life? Would you try? (laughs) Let's be honest. Those moments where you pray, Lord, I know you love me. This guy has to get hit by something today. (laughs) Right? Right? I mean, get saved on the way, but yeah, sure, right? And he shows up tomorrow, and he's stuck in the door. You're like, oh, what happened? thought you loved me. And God goes, he grabs that guy and goes, ha, 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 ha. You're like, oh, wow, wow, wow. Right? And that's because you are his masterpiece, and he's chiseling away. But see, look, at he doesn't stop in the middle of it. He doesn't go, oh, I, sorry, I'm tired. Or, oh, I ran, I'm sorry, I ran out of money can't afford to keep you in the tool bench because I lost the garage. I mean, this is God. But you ever feel like that? You ever feel like those moments where you kind of feel like God did some really cool work at the beginning and he took off some ugly pounds? you know? But now all of a sudden you're like, this can't be it. And what's funny is somewhere down the line, you were the one who actually said, Lord, this is good enough. God says, you, you don't look like anything right now. Yeah, but I look better than I did before. No, you just look like you got chipped. That's all. But really, look it, I mean, I I, I think I can see something. Have you ever tried to do that? It's like you go to Tate and you go, yeah, I think I can see what that is. And they put underneath it and it says, confusion. You're like, that's a great name for that. What in the world? Right? Actually, God's into something a little bit more than just modern. With all due respect to modern art. because And I think about what someone had said to Michelangelo when he was chipping away the angels for the Sistine Chapel. And they asked, how do you do this? I mean, do you have an idea in your mind now? And he goes, actually, I just believe there's an angel in there. I just need to set it free. And I just think about this. God kind of looks and he goes, hmm, I I see it, I see it, I see it. You don't. Well, you might a little bit more, but he doesn't. And he looks and he's like, okay. And you're like, hey, 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 hey. And you're like, no, 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 no. There's something in there. But I got to get rid of that outside stuff. that, That nasty flesh. And You're like, yeah. And you know what? Every piece of that falls back into this camp right here. In the end of it all, the stuff that's beautiful is the stuff that sits in the camp of the sacred. Does that make any sense at all? And, and I look at this, and I, and I just can't help but think, he's praying, you know what, you promised you'd make me fruitful. I mean, you promised to do more than just make, keep me alive. I mean, I have, I have babies. And I mean, if he kills me and all my kids, how am I going to be multitude, sands of the sword? I mean, if I die, how is that going to? And God's like, self-reliance. Took your ability to scheme and make it happen. Work behind the scenes and try to make it look like somebody else did it. Or somebody else did it and you make it look like you did. Verse 13, so he lodged there all night, took what was in his hand as a present for Esau, his, his, his brother. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milk camels. With their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 foals, 550 animals, and nine different droves, all going up in value. When you start with your goats, you end up with your donkeys. Your donkey was the engineer of the day. That was the one who actually decided your roads because they were smart enough to figure out the best way down something. And you actually, to this day, in the Middle East, there are places they use donkeys to figure out how to build a road, where to build the road. So, just pass over before me and put some distance between each successive grove. In other words, put some space between you and you and you and you and you and you. It's nine different groups that he gets to take stuff. Maybe he'll have so much stuff he won't have time to fight me. Verse 17, he commanded the first one, when you, Esau, my brother, meet you and, me and ask you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? Who are those, who are these in front of you? Which tells you that all the gifts come before the giver. Then you shall say, these are your servant Jacob's. Do you notice how he's focusing this your servant Jacob thing from the beginning of this, which is completely opposite of God's promise? And by the way, that's something you do need to clear up on this, and me too. And that is when we get to these points that where we try to take matters into our own hands, we don't just try to help God in the promise. We actually fight God's promise to do it. And this is the God promised that Jacob would be the one that actually is the preeminent. And Jacob here is so busy trying to save his own life. He's submitting to the one he's supposed to rule over your servant Jacob, my lord Esau. Behold, he's behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who follow in droves in this manner. You shall speak to Esau when you. Now, verse 20. Also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us, and he will say, I will appease him with this present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he'll accept me. Nassau is the word. So the president went before him, and he himself lodged in the camp all night, verse 22, and he arose that night, took his two wives, his female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Yebok, which means to pour forth. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over all he had, and Jacob was left alone. In the end of it all, maybe the last thing you would give up is your family, but there's one thing after it all. What's the most important thing to Jacob? Sad like us, it's us. It isn't like, look at, I'll go before you. Now, by the end of this time, by the next chapter, God willing, next week, you'll see that he actually he, he sobers up a moment. But you know what it's like? You can get drunk in the middle of a situation like this by the, the problems. Your head spins so fast, you can't even think straight. And he's just busy trying to save him. Now, the next of those little passing moments, remember how he just bumped into some angels, said hi at the beginning of this? Now, look at it. It says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Blah, 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 blah. And he picked up some milk, stubbed his toe, and he wrestled with an angel until whatever the case until. And you go, what? Hello, hello, what, what? Now, many of the ways they can argue over whether this is actually Jesus in the flesh or whatever the case is, God doesn't make that clear. We could go either way with it. You could go on either side and still be a Christian. One thing we do know is Jacob is wrestling, and he's wrestling with someone. Who knows when this was, when it started, but whenever it was, it went until sunrise, Now, if you've ever wrestled... By the way, interesting, there are only three times in Scripture the word wrestle is used in the New King James. It was used about his two wives, by the way, the sisters. When One said, I've wrestled against my sister, and I won. I had another baby, named him Naphtali. This situation, and of course, Ephesians 6, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, understand there's a big difference between wrestling. There are other terms, lots of in Scripture about wrestling, but directly mentioning the words these are in. There's a big difference between wrestling and hand-to-hand combat. Now, in regards to most other kind of fighting, the issue is just making good contact someplace that it's really going to hurt. That makes a lot of sense, right? Hit him hard in a place that's going to hurt. But that's not wrestling. In a case like that, you're just hoping to knock that guy out, knock him really hard, and that's usually the way a fight happens. But wrestling, there's only two ways to win in wrestling. You kill the guy, or he submits. He has to, and they do that to this day. You tap on the mat three times. Tapping on the mat three times means... I'm gonna give up. That's the way we do it today. Or they do it today. But the idea, but when you're wrestling, what you're looking for is something to get a hand on. That's different. It's the issue is not I'm looking for the weak spot to hit it. Right? Hi, James. You know, the issue with wrestling is I'm looking for the thing I can get my hand on. And it's interesting because when we read about being above reproach, literally the idea is there's nothing that that enemy could get a hand on. When it says the light shone in the darkness in John 1, but the darkness couldn't overcome it, literally the darkness couldn't get a hand on something. The darkness was trying to wrestle the light, and there was nothing it could grab. That was the idea of it. So when you're wrestling, you're just basically, it's the issue of which one's stronger. Here's the problem in a hand-to-hand combat, anyone could win. They just have to make good contact at the right moment. You can watch a little guy beat up a big guy. I don't recommend it. This isn't entertainment. You could. I mean, all you have to do is get that right spot. I mean, in fact, a lot of martial arts is behind the idea that we were little people getting beat up by big people. How do little animals beat up big animals? Let's imitate it. That's kind of the idea. Now, follow me as we get this to the end of it all. He's wrestling, he's wrestling, he's wrestling, he's wrestling. Now, that means the two of them, they're fighting, they're trying to get in each other in a lock and in this and the guy pops out of it and he tries to all right, come on, let's do it. Now, how long do you do that? I mean, the average wrestling match, does anyone know how long the average match, wrestling match goes? We're not talking about that pro wrestling stuff that's all like, you know, decorative What's that? Yeah, exactly. Three minutes. Excellent. Yeah, three minutes. Now we don't know when this started, but I have a feeling it was more than three minutes before sunrise. <laughs> I mean, sooner or later, you're like two you guys, right. oh, right. and they're just like hugging, you know? Right? <laughs> hugging, hoping one of them falls over, and then one guy just falls on them, right? Get off of me! All right, what's more of this? Come on! All right, right? You know? And what we read is something that's a little alarming because it says, verse 25, when he saw that he did not prevail against him. Now, how do you prevail against them? There's only two ways. Now, prevailing, by the way, isn't going to be that you kill. I saw that I couldn't kill you. The idea of it was you just will not give up. That's the way you prevail. That's the only way to prevail. So I could have you in a headlock for like an hour. Your face is purple. And you're still going like this, trying to get out of it. And I'm like, ah, ah, ah give up? yet? Like, no, 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 no. Two hours. How oh, about now? No, no. Oh, come on. How long? And that's the problem with wrestling. Get this. That's the problem with Jacob. And that's the problem with me. Because God does something... He's like, had enough. I know, no, I'm just fine. I can handle it. I can handle it. <laughs> Next thing, Hannah, no, I can, I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it. And God says, stop. You're fighting me. You're not just fighting the problem. You're fighting me. That's the problem. Finally, he goes, you know what? What becomes evident is. I'm going to have to take this up a level. And to take it up a level, I'm going to have to knock you out. <laughs> Let's be honest. Does anyone really want that from God? No, it doesn't read that God pulled really hard of this angel or this man. Pulled really hard. Okay, got it. We just read he went like this. He like, they wrestling. And he goes. And then it just popped out. He Has anyone ever heard of dislocated hip? Do you know how hard that is? I've I've had dislocated shoulders, dislocated elbows. That's what happens when you play basketball and try to study martial arts at the same time. I'm not too sure which one I get hurt more from. Anyway, but dislocated hips, it takes a lot to pop a hip out. It doesn't take a, let's touch it with my finger. Now, he could have done that at any given moment, but look at what this man wanted, that angel, that we'll call him an angel, we'll see it here, what God wanted was just for Jacob to give up before he had, listen, 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 before he had to hurt him. Could, would you, why don't you just give up before I do that? Jacob will spend the rest of his life limping because he didn't give up. Sad. But the moment he did that, It was effective. You can see him. He got him in a headlock. Donda goes to the ground and he's holding on to his foot. And he says, bless me. Asking for a blessing from your opponent is tapping the mat. All right. You win. I need your blessing. What your blessing says is asking for a blessing is saying, I submit to the fact you don't need to wrestle me anymore. How do I know you won't wrestle me anymore? You'll give me your blessing. Because we could get pretty angry in the middle of a match. But the moment you give me your blessing, that's the way I'm sure you're not going to keep fighting me. So I need your blessing. Please, please bless me. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go until I am sure you know, you know I give up. Until you know I'm I'm done fighting you. Until you know I'm done fighting you. What Jacob just said was I give up. You know what God said? You won. You won. Excuse me? This is the problem with this camp. Nowhere in man's camp do I give up and win. Let's be honest. Nowhere in God's camp am I going to win unless I surrender. Did you get that? So, where does he have you today? He got you in the headlock? Is it financial? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it in a relationship? What is it? Well, you're just going, why this? God, he's in his camp, going. The moment you let go, you could win this. Because you realize that's the whole point of this. This whole chapter is about one thing: living in Mahanaim. Does that make sense? We're living in two camps. Which one? Which one today? Are you tired of fighting? You're like, but I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to have the opportunity to be in either camp. And God says, yeah. So choose to choose from this point on. Does that make any sense? Any of you who are married know this. You said yes at the altar. And what you said is, I agree to stay married, to wake up tomorrow married, to wake up the next day married. It's not just a ring it's not just something we could look back at it, an embarrassing video with bad haircuts. And that's just my, you know, my groomsmen. Um, I thought I went, you had a mullet. I'm like, I, I I didn't know the term existed. But I want tonight. Anyway, so look at Jacob found himself at the place he needs to be that you do too. And we're going to bring this to prayer. I I, I could have made this a half hour, but we wouldn't have gotten half of what we really need to get from this. And that's this. The only place where you're going to win is down at his feet, holding on and saying, I give up. Otherwise, you're going to spend... What if your whole life was a whole night, inside of eternity, was just one night of you wrestling with God over and over and over and over again? And at any moment, he could have touched your hip. What if you actually have more tenacity than Jacob? He touched your hip, you're hopping on one leg and still fighting him. You know he'll do it. It's three DUIs. They call that something else here, right? Driving under the influence. Right, you've been arrested for driving and drinking. Driving drink or however that's said. So you got beat up in whatever way it was. Your life is just miserable and you're still fighting. And he touched the hip. He didn't look at God. will never touch your hip unless he has to. Aren't you thankful he's patient? If I were God... You started wrestling me. I'd have touched your hip right away. Why waste my time? You should be thankful I'm not God. I'd have touched both your hips and your arms too. You'd have looked like one of those things that's like a doll with the strings, where the arms and things just hang out. Like you'd look like a rag doll by the time I'm like, you give up now? I'm gonna kick you. <laughs> thankful I'm not God, because he's more merciful and he's a whole lot more patient. And look at what he says. Let's get this, let's close this. I won't let you go unless you bless me. And so he says, Well, what's your name? And he says, Rip Off Jacob, heel catcher. Funny because he's been trying to catch the heel all night. Verse 28, I'm not going to call you that. You'll no longer be called Jacob, though he will be called that for 294 other verses, him and his family. But I'm going to call you Israel because you've struggled with God and man and you've won. You've prevailed. How did he win? You won the moment you gave up. That's the way it works. Do you realize every one of you can walk out of here winning? You can walk out of here winning. But that's your choice, not God's. He loves you enough to wrestle you, let's be honest. By the way, even though for 294 other verses he'll be called Jacob, he'll be called Israel 2300. And why even call him Jacob a little bit more than this? Because there's still a lot of Jacob in Israel. Does that make sense? There a new too, you know, and me. Jacob asked and said, well, what about your name? He said, why do you ask what my name is? And he blessed him right there. So he called the place Peniel. Would you say Peniel? Peniel. Peniel. No, 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 not Peniel. 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 For I've seen God face to face. That's Jacob's impression of it. My life is preserved. So he crossed over Penuel, The sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Though he won, he will bear the mark for the rest of his life of that battle. So you might. It might be a tattoo you can't get off. That you look at and go, what an idiot I was. Whatever that thing is. Or, what if you didn't have to limp? What if you walked out of here because you chose your camp? Look, if he wants you. He wants you. Therefore, to this day, the children don't eat the muscle that shrank. Wow, that's great. Which is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the muscle that shrank. Let me just read the first verse of the next chapter and we'll close this. Jacob lifted his eyes and he looked and there was Esau coming with the 400 men. Dun, dun, dun. You're like, yeah. well, you can read ahead. You don't, you're not limited to reading the Bible in this room. Okay, look, at, I, I want to pray. But can I ask you what, you're, what you what you're fighting? I mean, what is so worth fighting for? What do you really think, what do you really think you've got going on that you think you're going to lose if you actually say yes to Jesus? What do you really think is so worth fighting him for the rest of your life? How many hips does he have to touch? He loves you enough to fight with you and fight with you and fight with you and fight with you. But you know, you could just be smart and get down to his feet where you belong, touch the mat and say, all right, you win, and get his victory. (laughs) Because every moment you fight him, you'll regret later. You don't need to. The problem isn't God's camp. And so here we are as we go to prayer, standing in in Mahanaim. Which camp are you going to choose today? Will you pray with me? Lord of God, I thank you so much for this text. I thank you for the privilege of what you've done here. We do recognize today we are in two camps. And living in Mahanaim, God, it's a difficult place because the world will always challenge us to stand in this camp. It will tell us we're not satisfied until we buy the next thing that will satisfy us until tomorrow when a new and improved model comes out. So we'll have to get that one too. But Lord, we recognize today that within each of us is the heart of a wrestler. And and you, you love us enough to wrestle. You really don't need to, but you do. And I, I just pray, God, right now, you would forgive me, and I'm speaking for myself. The, the congregation can deal with you their way, but I'm just going to do it in front of them and just tell you, God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for those times when I have somehow thought that I need to do this out of my own thinking or strength or whatever, God. And it's so stupid. It is so stupid. Because in the end of it all, Lord, I, I, why, why wrestle you, why? I want to thank you that you you would love me enough to wrestle me. You could just fry me right there. And I would die in that unrepentant, stupid state. But you'd wrestle. And in wrestling, you'll wrestle me all night. But there's a point where you're done wrestling and you're going to touch the hip and I will bear it for the rest of my life. And I pray right now that you never let me get to that point. That there'd be nothing in... Jacob's camp tonight that I would go to sleep tonight that everything of my life would be in your camp and Lord that I would wake up committed every day to putting my life in your camp where it belongs I thank you Lord that you've made my lips in a manner that I can't kiss two people at the same time you've built me in a way that my affection can only go in one direction and I pray God right now that you would take my affection. Lord, whatever battles are being fought in this room right now, whatever battles, I pray right now that you give us the wisdom to surrender and we say yes to you. God, I I know that that could be a fear factor. Jacob was clearly in great fear and, and distress. And I know you will allow us to be in that situation where, one, you'll allow our circumstances to be in such great distress, but second, then you'll put us in a place where we're left all alone. Like the prodigal that finally comes to his senses. And I pray right now for every person in this room that there would not be a single person that would leave here still wrestling. And so, God, I just pray right now as we confess Jesus, you as our Savior dying on the cross for all of our wrestling all of our faith our filth all of our failures all of our sin and that you rose again so that not only was our sin fully paid for but you could give us a life beyond the wrestle beyond the mat a brand new life set free and i pray right now that you would bring us to that place of complete and absolute surrender in our hearts without having to Rip a leg off. And I pray there would be not a person in here that would have to wrestle with you like that. But thank you for loving us enough to wanting to touch the hip. But I've learned, Lord, if you could steer with a feather, you won't use a sledgehammer. And I thank you for that. So, Lord, as I openly confess the sacrifice you gave us at the cross and your resurrection for a new life, just like your scripture promised, I openly again reconf- just confess again, Jesus is my Savior and my Lord, not because I could have lost my salvation, but just because I want to again openly profess my faith in you. And if there's anyone in this room that hasn't accepted Christ or has been walking far from Christ for a while in our hearts, has been wrestling with God for, for quite a while, right now, Pray this prayer with me. And at the end, I ask you to give a strong amen. And you're saying, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. God, I'm tired of wrestling you. When you gave everything to redeem me, I don't want to fight you anymore. I want to be yours. So please, today, wash me from my my fighting, from me being your opponent, and take me as your love As I take you as my Lord, confessing your sacrifice at the cross, your resurrection to give me new life. So here I am. Please have me. I'm at your feet. And I say, bless me. Not because I deserve it. I'm not deserving of the least of your mercies. But bless me because you are a God who blesses his own. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Amen.